Westside Baptist Church in Noonan, Georgia, brings you our weekly podcast. We hope you will be encouraged by our music and a message from the Word of God as we present our Sunday morning and Sunday evening services and our weekly broadcast by Dr. Melvin Payne. We thank you for listening. Let's stand, let's sing the glory land way. Let's sing it out on the first. On the first. I'm in the way, the bright and shining way. I'm in the glory land way. Telling the world that Jesus saves today. Yes, I'm in the glory land way. Sing it, I'm in the glory It's you and Isaac 
we've been blessed with good preachers around here like we've been blessed with pianists. A lot of churches are, are struggling to find anybody to play the piano. And God has been so kind to us here and given us plenty of piano players. And then he's given us plenty of men of God uh, that uh, can relieve pressure at certain times. And then also other times just being a blessing to the congregation. So I ask Brother Stephen if he would come tonight, share his heart with us under 12 minutes. I'm just kidding. You, you take your time. I trust you'll be pertinent. God bless you, brother. Thank you. Well, thank you, Brother Alton. Last time, like you said, I had five minutes notice. At least I had an afternoon today, right? All right. Well, praise the Lord. I'm excited. Yes, I, uh, I, I was sick the last couple of days, but doing much better. So I'm excited about being here. Well, it's funny. As we were sitting down and service started, I realized that I was sitting in the wrong seat. I was uh, sitting right here, and I realized that three other ushers came in around me. I said, oh, my goodness, I'm going to have to take up the offering. I don't figure something out quick, and I'm pretty sure I'd mess it up. So, Brother Bill Kane, you uh, bailed me out, and I really appreciate that. And in response, he said, since I took up the offering, you better keep it short tonight. So here we go. But I tell you what, I'm going to preach until God says we're done, so I'm excited. Um, I know that we have a lot of people that are sick, and we're praying for those people. My daughter Hannah is sick as well, and so we are going to, if you don't mind, please keep praying for Hannah uh, that she would get better. But it reminds me of a funny story. I, I heard a story about a pastor who was shaking hands after service, just like we do here at Westside. And there was a guy that walked out who wasn't real regular in church. And the pastor shook his hand and said, son, you need to join the army of the Lord. And he said, well, what are you talking about? And he said, well, I only see you at Christmas and Easter. He said, pastor, you don't realize I'm in the secret service. <laughs> so we got a lot of people in the secret service here at Westside, don't we, pastor? Well, let's pray and we'll get started. Father God, Lord Jesus, thank you for today. Lord, thank you for the opportunity that we have to be in your house tonight. God, I ask that you would just bless me as I open your word and as I read it. God, would you ask, I ask that it not return void, but instead accomplish exactly what you please, piercing the heart of every individual. God, would you remove me from it and put you all over it, and God, we'll have a good time in your name, for it is in your name we pray. Amen. If you have your Bibles, open them to 2 Timothy chapter 3. That's where we're going to be tonight, 2 Timothy chapter 3, for just a few minutes. But here's what I want to preach on tonight. I want to preach on the authority of Scripture. I want to take just a few minutes, and I want to open this passage, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 14 through 16, and I want to remind us about the authority of God's Word. I feel like that every once in a while it's important that we take a step back and we realize why do we believe what God's Word says, and how can we defend what it is that we say we believe? And so for just a few minutes, that's where we're going to go tonight. And if I could begin, I would ask you this question, and I want you to think about this as we talk for a few minutes. Why do you believe that the Bible is true? And I'll stop for a minute, and I'll let that sink in. And then the second part to that question is, what do you believe about the truth of the Bible? And it's really easy for us to stand here or to sit here in a church that we've been in for a long time, or even if we've just grown up in church, and to be able to recite the answers as to what we believe about the Bible or why we believe what we believe about the Bible. But let me start with this quote, and I want this to sink in for you as we get going tonight. You separate what you know from what you believe by what you do. You separate what you know from what you truly believe by what you do. And so my 
thought is that oftentimes we as Christians, when that question comes up, what do you believe about the Bible, we can recite what we know to be true. But what I want to encourage you tonight is let's move for a few minutes from what we know to what we truly believe. And what's the litmus test for what we truly believe? Well, it's our actions. It's our actions as a believer in the body of Christ. That's how we can know what it is that we truly believe. We as Christians are supposed to be fruit inspectors. We're supposed to be able to see the fruit of our faith in other individuals. And so as we get going and as we start this, this little quest tonight on the authority of Scripture, I want you to realize that sometimes what you believe is actually different than what you know, and how you can tell that is by your actions. So what I want to do is I want to line up what you know with what you truly believe so that we can step out of here and have action that's actually backing up what, it set, what we say we believe. Does that make sense? So that's where we're going to go tonight for just a few minutes. But I think it's really important that we do this, and here's why. The world that we live in today will do absolutely everything possible to try to pull you away from being able to defend the fact that the Bible is true. And the world that we live in is not really uh, even nice about it. In fact, they're quite brutal. And if you don't really know how to stand behind what you believe, then let me be real honest with you. The world can really easily eat you alive and make you look like really an idiot, if you will, when you try to defend your faith. And I don't say that to be funny. I say that actually tragically because what it does is it ruins our witness if we can't stand up for what we believe. And so what I want to do is I want tonight, let me set the, the stage. Let me, let me give you the roadmap of how we're going to get to where we're going. I'm going to start out with a little bit of practical application from these verses. I'm going to give you a couple of points of practical application. And then when we get to verse 16, we're going to dig deep into the theology that goes along with the authority of Scripture. Now, we're going to do it quickly, but I'm going to take you down. I'm going to submerse you into the theology of this verse for just a few minutes. And then I'm going to pull you back up, and we're going to end with practical application. We're going to tie it all together and go home. So that's how we're going to get to where we're going. But as we get going, I want to give you a little bit of a background to 2 Timothy. If you, would, if you ask the, the average Christian, there's really two answers that are given when somebody says, who wrote 2 Timothy? People that, that just off the cuff will say Timothy, but that's actually not true. It was actually written by Paul to Timothy. It's the second letter written to Timothy, to Timothy. And the background, I think, is important because if you don't understand the background, you're not going to understand the premise behind the writer writing what he wrote. And here's the thing. When we read the Bible, we have to understand that the Bible was written by men to people at a specific time to help them as they were living the Christian faith. And what it does today, because it's the inspired, infallible, and inerrant Word of God, is it's timeless. It didn't end there. That's what separates the Bible from every other book that's ever been written, is it didn't stop at the original recipients. Instead, it's timeless because it's inspired by God, and God's truth is forever. And so that's where we're going tonight to help you understand how we can stand behind that. But the background of 2 Timothy is this. Written by Paul to Timothy, second letter, Paul was in prison in Rome when this was written. Paul wrote to Timothy who was ministering to, at a church in Ephesus. And he was a pastor just like Paul was a pastor. And so this letter in essence is written pastor to pastor. And the, the premise behind the letter is not so much as deep theology, but the premise behind the letter is really just to encourage 
Timothy to fight the good fight and to minister well to the people in Ephesus. If you remember or if you can think back in this time, the church is relatively young. And so these ministers are new at what they're doing and they're experiencing persecution really for the first time, oftentimes. And Paul writes to Timothy, who had been with him on his missionary journeys, to encourage him at how to fight the good fight and to live the Christian life and to minister effectively as he's in Ephesus. And so that's really the premise behind this. Paul is in prison, and the, the crazy thing about this is just like in the book of Philippians especially, but any time that Paul's in prison, he typically writes his best stuff. And he writes this book or this letter while he's in prison, and he's not angry, he's not mad. Instead, he considers it a joy to be in prison for the word of the Lord, and he's writing because he wants somebody else to continue what he's already started. And so as he writes this, he is trying to simply encourage Timothy as he moves on and as he continues fighting the fight for Jesus. Jesus has ascended into heaven. The church age has begun. And now it becomes the responsibility of people like Timothy all the way up to people like us today to continue fighting that fight. And here's just, this is just a side note for five seconds. I think that oftentimes when we read a passage like this, we look at it as, oh, it was the early church father's responsibility to get the church going and to jumpstart it. But let me tell you, friend, right now, it is equally as much our responsibility to have the same passion that Paul called on Timothy to have when he wrote this, this letter. And oftentimes we remove ourselves from that and we do it at a disservice to the Lord. We think that we're so far removed and that there's a church on every corner that if we don't do something, it's going to be okay. But here's what I want you to get, that Paul's not just writing this to Timothy because it's God's word he's writing it to you too and to me too. So let's read three verses, verse 14, 15, and 16. We'll read them all, then we'll stop at 14, I'll make a point, stop at 15, I'll make a point, we'll park at 16 for a few minutes. So here's verse 14 in 2 Timothy chapter 3. Here's what it says. Word of the Lord says, But continue thou in the things which thou hast learned and hast been assured of, knowing of whom thou hast learned them, and that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. Amen. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. So that's what, those are the few verses that I want us to park at for a few minutes tonight. And we're going to start with verse 14. And I'm going to make three points. And I want you guys, if you want to, you can write them down. Take a pen, pencil, lipstick, or mascara. It doesn't matter. Just write it down or circle in your Bible if you want to. But here's the point from verse 14. Remember who has taught you. If you remember what we read here in verse 14, it says, But continue thou in the things which thou hast learned and has been assured of. So I'm going to make the points to us as Paul was making them to Timothy as he wrote. And here's basically what I believe that it's important for us to realize. Remember what you've learned. Remember who has taught you these things from God's word. Remember who it is, Christian, who taught you God's word. Let me give you an example. Pastors... Pastor Outen, Pastor Melvin, myself, pastors, we dedicate our lives to teaching you the truth. And we stand before you by God's grace with the opportunity to share truth to you. Remember 
that person, whoever it may be, that has taught you, that has made a difference in your life from the truth of God's Word. And there's a point where I'm, I'm using this as the foundation, and I'll get there in just a minute. But maybe it's a Sunday school teacher. Maybe it's a parent. Maybe it's a mentor. Maybe it's a friend. But remember who taught you what you know about God's Word, and remember why you chose to listen to Him in the first place. I want you to remember in your mind right now who taught you God's Word and who taught it to you first and who is the person that you can wrap your brain around that is the one that you would say, I believe taught me the truth about God's Word and I want you to think, why did you listen to that person? What was special about what they were teaching you? Why was it important for you to listen to them? Because here's the thing, you were taught a lot of things in your lifetime. You were taught mathematics in school. You were taught English literature. You were taught science and social science and history. And there were people that taught you those things. But you know what? The chances are when you got out of school and you left and you went on, those things didn't radically transform your life. But for some reason, when somebody taught you God's word, it radically transformed your life. And you got on your knees at the altar somewhere, someplace, and you accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And my first point is, there has to be some power in this book if it transformed your life. And you remember all the way back to the first person that taught it to you, however many years ago that was. There's one thing about the Bible that is something in your life that can claim its authority because it transformed you. It made a difference in your life. It did something to you and for you and through you so that you remembered it. You remembered it, and you know why you remembered it? Because God laid it on your heart to remember because he desired for you to be his child. You don't remember your history book. You remember God's word. There's authority in the fact that you remember it. Who taught you the Bible, and why do you remember it? So first point, again, remember who has taught you. Verse 14 is that that's the reminder there. Verse 15, I'll read it to you again. And thou, or excuse me, and that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. And that verse just meant something to me, and it spoke to me, because it talks about the holy scriptures are what actually brought us to the point to where we surrendered our life to Jesus and were able to obtain salvation. If it weren't for the truth of God's word, we wouldn't have the ability to even know what salvation meant. But salvation is possible because of God's word, because of the scriptures. And if you want to argue with that, then let me ask you this. Take the Bible out of it, then how would you know what it means to be saved? You say, well, somebody told me. How would they know? It all comes back to the Bible. It all comes right back to right here. And the reason why is because we don't have the luxury of walking around physically with Jesus like the 12 apostles did. That's why the Bible was written in the first place to take God's word to today. So that we can know the truth and the good news of the gospel even after Jesus ascended into heaven. And so that we, in theory and in practicality, can take it and share the good news with the lost and dying world. That's the reason. So point number two, recall your testimony. Recall your testimony. Verse 15 encourages us and reminds us, just like it reminded Timothy as he was 
ministering in Ephesus, recall your testimony. So what was the moment and when was the moment where God changed you? What was the verse? What was the, the time? What did you glean from God's word that changed your life? And then past the point of salvation, your testimony does not end at salvation. That's when it begins. So from that moment forward, recall your testimony as you read God's word and remember what God's word has done to help transform your life. Recall your testimony. And if I asked you to recall something, this is going back to our previous point, but it applies here too. If I asked you to recall something that you remembered in college, and I picked a book, and I said, recall, chances are you couldn't do it. Some of you could, and it depends on the subject, and it depends on your passion. But the majority of us could not. But you know what? I could go around this place, and I could say, when did you accept Jesus? And you know what? You could say, I was on this date at this time in this moment, and here's what I read out of God's word, and it was this person, and they had this color hair. Recall your testimony and remember what God did, and then remember after that the trials that you've been through and what you did when you went to God's word and you opened it up and it spoke truth into your life, and there's no other book on the planet that can speak truth into your life that can actually make you do something or, or cause you to, to uh, understand what God wants you to do other than the Holy Scripture right here, God's word, the Bible. It's right there. Your testimony didn't end at salvation. It began there. Your testimony is something that is a personal reminder of the authority of God, or authority of God's word. So here's what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to help you to understand from your personal life first why God's word is authoritative. Then I'll give you the facts, the theology behind and the practical history behind how you can back it up to somebody who maybe doesn't have the same testimony you have. But before we get there, you've got to believe it yourself. You've got to believe it first. You've got to understand it first. You've got to have a personal relationship with this idea first. You've got to believe it and understand it before it can actually be something that you share to someone else. Because here's the thing. You will be a terrible salesman if you try to sell a product you don't believe in. And you know what? The best salesman of the gospel of Jesus Christ is somebody whose life has been radically transformed by what God's word says. And so that's what we're trying to do. I'm trying to help you to remember and recall. Third point as we move into verse 16, and here's what it is. Recognize the truth. Recognize the truth as it stands right before you, as it's right there and as it's right before you. Because here's what this passage says. It says, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, and for instruction in righteousness. And here's the crazy thing about that little word all. In the Greek, that word all means, you know what? It actually, it means all. Hello. It means all. So here's the thing about that verse. Right there, it says all Scripture is breathed out by God. You know what that means? Either you believe that verse, and therefore you must believe it all, or if you take that verse out, you can't believe any of it. You understand? You either believe that verse, and therefore you believe it all, or you take that verse out, and therefore you can't believe any of it. Here's what we as Christians often do. 
We read the Bible and we view it as a menu. We can pick and choose what we want in the way that best fits our appetite at that specific time. But you know what? Unfortunately, 2 Timothy, or fortunately, 2 Timothy 3.16 says we can't do that. It doesn't work that way. And here's the thing. You've got a decision to make. You're either going to believe it all and you're going to surrender your life to all of it or you might as well throw it all out because there's nothing that you can believe if you don't believe it all. And it's right there. That one verse in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, is that one verse that tells you that that has to be the way we approach it in order for us to get the full concept of God's word. That's it, right there. You believe it all, you believe none of it, that's it. So my question to you is, and this is a little bit of a conviction moment, how often have you read a passage of Scripture and you pull one out and you say, I want to believe this, but really in this moment right now, I don't want to believe this because it doesn't make me feel so good. We've all done that, haven't we? And you know what? It's tragic and it's not correct. It's not what God desires for us because the thing is, this whole book is God's Word and it was written for you and written for me and we have to believe it. Otherwise, the Christian faith is meaningless. It's meaningless. Here's what C.S. Lewis said about Jesus. He said he's either a liar, a lunatic, or he's Lord. And here's the thing about the Bible. Either it's heretical it's not historical or it's accurate. So the Bible is inspired by God, which means it was written by, it was written by, I'll get to that, but it, it was written by God, inspired by God. Infallible meaning it won't fail us, inerrant means it, won't ha it has no error. So you may ask this question, now we're digging deep into the theology for just a couple of minutes, and I'm going to back this up. We're going to talk about how we can understand that the Bible's true. So, the Bible itself, I'm, I'm backing up for just a minute because I think it's important to make this point first. The Bible was written by 40 authors over 1,500 years on three continents. 40 authors, 1,500 years, three continents. These authors had different backgrounds, had different circumstances, and you know what the product is? A unified and harmonious work with no contradiction. Now you tell me how that's possible without the inspiration of God. That moment in time right there where you wrap your mind around that is an incredible testimony to the fact that the Bible is true because it's impossible for it to not have any contradictions if it was written over that huge span by 40 people, 1,500 years, three continents. It's impossible impossible for it to not have contradictions unless there is a unifying presence, God Almighty, that inspired the work. So you ask the question, what does inspiration mean? Here's the theology. Here's, what, here's, here, here's how inspiration works, the inspiration of Scripture. We obviously know that the books of the Bible were written by different men. Look at the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Well, here's what we believe, that, the, that these Books were written by men according to their own perspective, but they were inspired by God. So here's an example. You and I watch a football game together. You're going to tell me something, and then you go home and you ask somebody, well, how'd the game, or somebody asks you how the game went. You're going to tell me something different than Brother Alton's going to tell me because we watched the same game, but we had different emphasis in the game. So people who read the, the four Gospels will say, well, there's contradictions everywhere. Well, guess what? There's actually no contradictions in the four Gospels. It's just the fact that God inspired the work, and then these authors had the ability to write according to their own perspective. 
Why is that important? Because it shows the unity and the harmony of God's word because these people could write according to their own perspective. They weren't secretaries just dictating what was said. They could write for their own perspective and it was still harmonious and unified. You understand? There's the theology in this verse. The theology behind the the fact that Scripture is inspired by God. It's right there. Now, we could go deep, and we could go long, and we could keep going in this, and I could tell you thing after thing that would back up the fact that the Bible is God's Word, but I'm not going to go too much farther. I want to make a couple more points, and I want it to sink in. But I want you to realize that it's not just what we say. History backs up the fact that God's Word is inspired and it's authoritative. It has internal evidence. Over 3,800 times in the Bible, the phrase exists, thus says the Lord. Thus says the Lord. Over 3,800 times. That's God himself saying, remember. Remember, it's my word. In my, in my other job, I, I'm the headmaster of a Christian school. I run a school, and part of the, the joys that I get to have is I get to teach a couple of Bible classes because I want to, and so I teach a systematic theology class to the juniors and seniors, and what we do in that class is we take the doctrines of the faith, and we walk them through, I walk them through the doctrines of the faith, and we start the semester with bibliology, or the school year with bibliology, which is the doctrine of the Bible. Uh, This is just an overview of what I taught them for several weeks. And why is that the case? Because if you don't believe the Bible, you can't believe anything about the Christian faith. If you don't have a foundation in the Bible, everything else is meaningless because you have nowhere to get your information. And so we start with bibliology, and that's why we're doing this right now today. So let me give you now the practical application from verse 16 in just a moment. But here's a couple of points I want to make. So there's four things that are mentioned in verse 16 that Scripture does for us, and I think these are important. The first one is instruction. Scripture teaches man by source of its own content. It teaches us by its very content. It teaches the truth. This right here, these four things, teach us what the benefit of Scripture is. The first thing is instruction. It teaches us the truth. The second one is reproof. And you know what that means? It refutes error. It refutes error. And there will be many people that try to bring error to what we say or what we believe is the Christian faith. And you know what? The Bible can refute it by giving us truth. It's just like light dispels darkness. It's not the other way around. Light dispels the darkness. Darkness doesn't dispel light. The light is what comes in and, and illuminates the truth. So reproof, Scripture refutes error. Correction, Scripture sets right what was wrong, mostly with regards to contact, conduct. It sets right how we lived previously. It sets right how we're supposed to live with regards to our conduct. And it does it wholly, W-H-O, wholly and wholly which is holy as in set apart for righteousness. And then finally, training in righteousness. It produces results in which right conduct is now present. So here's the whole gamut. Scripture starts out by teaching us the truth. Then it pulls away the errors. It pulls away the things that are wrong. 
It helps us to understand what right conduct is supposed to be, and then it gives us the freedom to live in right and righteous conduct. That's what Scripture does for you, and that's what it does for me. So as we come to a, a close tonight in just a moment, here's what I want to ask you. I want to ask you, as you read the Bible, and as we go back to the question at the beginning, as you read the Bible day after day, and as you, you understand it and you study it, what do you believe about it? What do you believe to be true about Scripture? And why do you believe it? You separate what you know from what you believe by what you do. If somebody were to look at your actions, would they be able to tell that you believe this work to be true? You know what? Maybe it was at one point. Maybe your spiritual heart just didn't beating right now. Maybe you say, Pastor, I, I've been through so much that I almost feel like I'm in a spiritual coma. You know what? God's word, it can, it can illuminate you and bring you right back to life. I heard a story about a, a lady, and her name was Miss Johnson. And let me give you a little bit of the background to Miss Johnson. Miss Johnson went to a church, and she was having open heart surgery. There's actually a song that was written about this story, and the song is called Tell Your Heart to Beat Again. Some of you may have heard it. I heard it not too long ago. Tell Your Heart to Beat Again. Well, this pastor, one of his bucket list items was that he wanted to watch an open heart surgery take place, and I have no idea why, but he did. We had a physician in his church who was performing an open heart surgery on Miss Johnson that week who was also a member of the church, and he, the physician said to the pastor, you know what, if I can get Miss Johnson to agree, I'll let you stand in the observation deck and watch us as we perform this surgery. Long story short, she allowed that to take place, and so the pastor's standing up in the observation deck watching this heart surgery take place. Surgery comes to a close, and it's about time for the surgeon to put everything back together, and so he does. He puts the heart back where it's supposed to be. He massages it and steps back, and the heart doesn't start beating on its own. This is a true story. So he does it again. He massages the heart, steps back, and it doesn't start beating on its own. And the pastor tells a story that everybody in the room is starting to get a little bit scared now except the surgeon. The nurses, you can tell, they're visibly shaken. The pastor in the observation deck is saying, oh, my goodness, I'm about to watch my church member die on the operating table right here in front of me. So one more time, the surgeon does the same thing, same result, heart doesn't start beating. So the next step is the point. So what does the surgeon do? He takes his mask off. He gets down on his knee like this up to Miss Johnson. And he says, Miss Johnson, this is your surgeon. I just want you to know the surgery was successful. We repaired everything that was broken. Now I need you to tell your heart to beat again. And in that moment, Miss Johnson's heart started to beat on its own. And they were able to close her back up, and she lived that out as a testimony. So what's the point of me telling you that story? I'm asking you tonight, tell your spiritual heart to beat again. Tell your spiritual heart to beat again. You know what? I can stand here, and I can massage it. Pastor Alton, Pastor Melvin, we can massage it. We can put it back and step away. But we can't make it beat. We can't make your heart beat. It's only you when you understand and believe the truth of God's word. And no matter what it is you're experiencing, no matter what trial or tribulation you're going through, it's only you that can step back and decide 
that you are going to tell your spiritual heart to beat again. And it's only you, only you, like Miss Johnson did physically, that can spiritually rejuvenate and revive yourself because God's already done the work. Your heart's healed. It's done. It's ready. And God is standing there as the great physician, standing there just waiting in anticipation for you to get on board with believing what he says is true. And when you get on board and you are ready, then everything's done for your spiritual heart to beat and then for you to go out and be a force for God and a force for good. So as we close tonight, the whole point of tonight's message is the authority of Scripture, the authority of God's Word. You can believe that it's true. The three things that I want you to do, number one, is I want you to remember who taught you. Number two, I want you to recall your testimony. Number three, I want you to recognize the truth. And if you do all three of those things, you're prepared for your spiritual heart to beat and never to stop. Musicians can come forward as we move into a time of invitation. Would you join me in prayer? Father God, Lord Jesus, thank you for today. God, you are a mighty God. What an incredible privilege it is to open your word and to read it and to teach tonight. God, would you help us to remember, Lord, that we are the ones that can tell our spiritual heart to beat again. God, can we remember that your word is authoritative, it's true. God, it does not fail us. And we can hold on to that fact in the midst of a world, in the midst of a society that tries to tell us anything but that. God, we love you. We thank you in advance for what you're going to do. For it's in your name we pray. Amen. The altar is open. Stand, please. Let's stand and sing. Maybe as you are here tonight, maybe you just need to come to the altar and you just need to share that you're ready for your spiritual heart to beat again. Let's search me, oh God.